Acts 16, verses 11 to 40. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm, your harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. 
Therefore, come now, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And, they, and, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. May God bless the reading of his word. I'd now like to invite Pastor Pat to come, who will be preaching on today's message titled, A New Congregation. Thank you, Janet. That's a, quite a long passage to read. Um, so, good morning, Crossbridge. This morning, we are continuing in our sermon series, To the Ends of the Earth, um, in the book of Acts. Last week, you saw that God has good plans for our lives, even when we may struggle to believe it. Sometimes, God may interrupt our plans to guide us to a breakthrough, as he did for Paul and Silas in the Macedonian call. Through discernment and prayer, we can discover that God is leading us to, even if we may be tempted with quiet quitting. And that brings us to today's text, Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 11. Today we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy continuing the second missionary journey, guided by the Holy Spirit to Macedonia, particularly the city of Philippi. It was a significant city, a Roman colony, and it's exactly this Roman citizenship that is significant for what will happen to Paul later in the book of Acts. As they journeyed further and further from their home base, they encountered increasingly significant cultural differences, opposition by authorities, and personal hardships. Through the power of God's grace, they persevered in their mission. The four stories from our passage can be summarized this way. God's grace opens doors, transforms hearts, overcomes obstacles to create a congregation in Christ. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace at work in our lives and your church. As we reflect on your word today, give us insight and courage. Show us how you made a new congregation in Christ by your grace in Philippi. Teach us how to apply what we hear to our own context and challenges. Grow us as your people who will show your glory and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, God's grace opens doors from verses 11 to 15. Let's begin by looking at the incredible story of Lydia right there in verse 11 and be encouraged that by the power of God's grace to open wide the doors for the gospel. After settling in the city of Philippi, 
Paul, Silas, Timothy, and our author Luke were making preparations to observe the weekly Sabbath. They went outside the city gate and they walked along the riverside. They hoped to find a place there for prayer since there was no synagogue in Philippi. Now, why would they have thought to go to the river? This is what R.C. Sproul says. He explains, according to the Jewish practice, at least 10 men were required to form a synagogue. Failing that, a place of prayer could be established outdoors, preferably near water. Although various local and indoor pagan religions flourished in Philippi, the city likely had no Jewish synagogue for instruction in Israel's scriptures and prayer to the true and living God. When these four men arrived at the riverside, they encountered a group of women who had gathered to worship the Lord. Luke tells us that one of these women, Lydia, had heard the message of the gospel and was deeply moved. Lydia was a successful businesswoman from the city of Thyatira, known for her trade in luxurious purple cloth. And we learn that she was already a worshiper of the one true God. Now, what else can we learn or infer about Lydia? Now, because Thyatira was located across the Aegean Sea from the city of Philippi, that being 200, more than 200 miles away, and she being a seller of purple goods, Lydia presents herself as a prosperous businesswoman. And from what we learn later in this chapter, she probably owned a large home in Philippi. Furthermore, though being a Gentile, Luke tells us that Lydia may have already embraced that monotheistic faith of Israel and the ethical standards of the Mosaic law. Luke tells us that upon hearing the gospel, the Lord opened the door to Lydia's heart to pay attention to Paul's message. The word heart in this context refers to our soul. It represents that location and the capacity to think, to feel, and to choose. It's important to understand that Lydia's ability to believe the gospel did not come from Apostle Paul or even from herself. Instead, the ability to trust in commit to, depend on, and worship the Lord Jesus Christ comes from God alone. Just as God opened Lydia's heart, he continues to open our hearts and the hearts of people today. Lydia's belief in the gospel was not limited to herself alone, but it was extended to her whole family, her household, family, and servants. Their decision to follow the Lord was demonstrated through their participation in believers' baptism. This is evidence of the sovereign work of God. Her conversion was further demonstrated by her insistence that the apostles stay at her home. She made and gave an offer they could not resist. Her hospitality was clear sign of the fruit of her, her conversion. Now, the way it happened then is the same as it happens today. John chapter 6, verse 37, 
all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. In verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. You see, it's that drawing which is selective, it's effective, it's gracious, and it's sourced in God's sovereign grace that has been at work since the beginning of time. See, every believer, without exception, is a precious and unique gift of God the Father to the Son. Listen carefully. There, no Christian, no Christians were converted simply by completing a form or coming forward when they're invited to the front of the church or the sanctuary or even by reciting a prayer. No. Authentic conversion happens when God inclines our thoughts, our feelings, and our will to the truth of the gospel. When you repented of your sin and when you placed that God-given faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, assurance and proof of such a conversion is a changed life of obedience to God. And God's grace opens the doors to the gospel so we may hear, we can respond, and be saved by the gospel of Christ. Next, God's grace transforms hearts, verses 16 to 18. Here we learn about a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and was following Paul and his companions, proclaiming them as servants of the Most High God, verse 17. At first glance, it may seem like this girl was doing a good thing, proclaiming the truth about Paul and his companions. But Paul recognized that this spirit that was in the girl did not come from God, but came from Satan. Now, I also seriously doubt that this slave girl wanted to actually say what she was saying. She was simply unable to say anything else. Over and over, she shouted the truth about Paul and his colleagues and the gospel that they had come to preach. You see, the issue was not the content of her words, but the issue was the disturbance that she created by her proclamations. She became, in effect, a heckler, and that detracted from the ministry. And Apostle Paul had tolerated the girl's disruptive behavior for quite a long time. And that begs the question, why didn't he act sooner? Paul's delayed engagement was not due to the indifference or the absence of spiritual authority in Jesus Christ. He simply recognized, as we should as well, the seriousness of spiritual warfare. And he approached it with great care and caution. Eventually, her unwelcome behavior became too much to bear. And Apostle Paul commanded that spirit, that evil spirit possessing her, to leave her in the name of Jesus Christ. And of course, that spirit left in that same hour. Now, some pastors suppose 
that this young girl also came to believe in Jesus Christ. And why not? Lydia, in the material that just preceded, she came to faith. And later on, the Philippian jailer does too. But there is no evidence here, nothing in the Bible that indicates that she believed in and followed Jesus. The text neither mentions a baptism nor a desire to extend hospitality to the, hosp- to the apostles. And those were the actions taken by Lydia and then subsequently by the jailer. It appears that this young girl was simply freed from her demon possession and nothing else. Nonetheless, we see God's grace is the power to transform even the most broken and captive hearts. Third, God's grace overcomes obstacles. Verses 19 to 28. In these verses, we read about Paul and Silas being beaten and thrown into prison for casting out a spirit of divination from that slave girl. Now, what do you think about what they did? Was delivering this girl from demonic influence something Apostle Paul took lightly? As I've mentioned before, and I'll say it again, I seriously doubt it. Do you remember what happened the last time Paul exercised spiritual authority in Jesus' name? It was back in Acts chapter 14, after Paul healed that cripple in Lystra. The crowds became so agitated that what did they do? They stoned him. So why would Paul now risk his own life to cast out that evil spirit? Let me offer two reasons why Paul would put his life second before this girl's. First, he was grieved by the girl's miserable condition. Because of the demonic possession, she was denied the life and freedom in Christ that she was forced to proclaim. Can you imagine the cruelty of her circumstances? It's like being locked in a cage where you can't move, you can't even breathe, and being compelled to do what? To run and to laugh. How could you do that? The second reason is much simpler. Luke tells us that the slave girl was being exploited for profit by her masters. So by Paul's decisive actions, he honored God. He showed compassion to this exploited girl and served to advance God's kingdom. Though the spirit of divination had been powerfully oppressing this poor girl for a long time, by the name of Jesus Christ, Paul and Silas were able to cast it out and set her free. But the apostles' victory did not come without a price. The slave girl's owners, who had been using her divination skills for their own profit, were furious that their source of income had come to an end. So they accused Paul and Silas of causing a disturbance and inciting a riot. And just like that, these miracle-working apostles, Paul and Silas, found themselves in chains and dragged off to prison. Imagine the scene in your mind's eye. 
these two men, bruised and bleeding from their beatings, thrown into a dark and dirty cell, their feet locked in stocks. They were in pain. They were uncomfortable. They were probably thinking, hmm, God, you have an interesting plan here for us. But they did not lose heart. They did not give up. Instead, they continued to trust in God and sing praises to him. They knew that even in the midst of their suffering, God was still in control. They knew that God's grace was still at work, even in the darkest of circumstances. Can you see God in your circumstances? You might think that their humiliating beatings, mistreatment, imprisonment, wouldn't discourage them, but that that they might lose heart and give up. But that is not what happened. Instead, through the events of these exceptional circumstances, we see God's grace overcomes obstacles, even the most difficult ones. God's grace was at work in their circumstances. How? How were they at work? I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you three ways. By becoming bold witnesses, by displacing fear and anxiety, and finally overcoming obstacles of their imprisonment. So we'll look at these in turn. First, God's grace empowered them to overcome as bold wit witnesses. Paul and Silas did not back down from their mission or compromise their message. They boldly proclaimed the truth of Christ and demonstrated his power over evil. They followed Jesus' example, who endured suffering for our sake, as we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. They also followed the command of Jesus. And Pastor Bowman read this earlier in the service, who told Jesus, who told us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is such an important passage. It's worth repeating. Second, in verse 25, God's grace helped them to displace fear and anxiety with joy and praise. Paul and Silas did not complain or curse their enemies. They did not lose hope or faith in God's plan. They did not let their circumstances determine their attitudes, or their actions. Instead, they prayed. They sang hymns. And when did they do this? At midnight, 
as all the prisoners had nothing else to do in the dark but to listen. Others may have despaired, but they, the apostles, had the joy of the Lord as their strength. They also had that peace that transcends all understanding. Third, in verses 26 to 28, the apostles' prayers and songs were heard by God, but also the prisoners and certainly the Philippian jailer. By the surprisingly joyful witness of the prayers and praise, the grace of God worked in several other ways. First, in verse 26, God's grace overcame the physical bondage of Paul and Silas. He sent an earthquake that shook the prison doors open and loosened those chains. Next, God's grace overcame the spiritual darkness of the prison, filling it with light and joy through their worship. The prisoners were so touched. I can't explain how, but we know the effect. They did not leave when they could have. And so in verse 28, God's grace overcame the fear and despair of the jailer by showing mercy and salvation from Paul. Here's what you all must understand. God's grace is not limited by your circumstances. No matter how dire or hopeless your situation may seem, His grace can overcome any obstacles that you face. This was evident in the experience of Paul and Silas and serves as a reminder to us that when we encounter, not if, but when we encounter our challenges, you can trust in God's enduring presence and grace in the midst of even the darkest of circumstances. Crossbridge, remember to sing your praises to him and to lean on his strength and his grace will help you to overcome any obstacles in your life. You see, it's ultimately that Paul and Silas witnessed not only saved the jailer, but also his household and set the template for how congregations are formed. We will look at this as we turn to the final section in Acts chapter 16. Finally, by opening doors, by transforming hearts, by overcoming obstacles, by God's grace, a new congregation in Christ is formed. That's covered in verses 29 to 34 and 35 to 40. This final story focuses on the jailer and explains his role and contribution to this new congregation. The Philippian jailer had been given the responsibility of guarding Paul and Silas, and when he saw that earthquake, he felt it, and he, and he could hear those, um, those uh, prison doors swinging open. He was ready to take his own life. Because what kind of prisoner wouldn't make a run for it? And he would be solely responsible for their escape. But Paul cried out, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer was amazed by their compassion and their willingness to stay, even in the face of such suffering. He asked them, Sirs, 
what must I do to be saved? Do we ask that same question? Do we need saving today? Are we asking, what must I do to be saved? It's a continual reliance on Jesus Christ and the work of his Holy Spirit. Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. And so the jailer and his household were baptized and they welcomed Paul and Silas into their home and there they received food and care. And after the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his household, a new community of believers was forming up there in Philippi. These individuals who were strangers to one another before their conversions were now united as one congregation characterized by love, unity, and mutual support. Now, it's important to note that the jailer and his household were Gentiles, not Jews like Paul and Silas were, and thus came from a different cultural background. And despite this, their shared faith in Christ brought them together as one community. And this should give us heart in our mission, building bridges to build a family in Christ. It's the gospel that we share that makes that possible. This new congregation did not fizzle out after Paul and Silas left. In fact, it continued to grow and thrive. As we continue through the book of Acts, we will see how this community of believers provided the encouragement and support for Paul and his ministry. It's a testament to the power of God's grace to create a community that is bound together in Christ regardless of their social, cultural, or ethnic differences. Today we saw how God's grace worked for the good of his followers and for the salvation of disparate people in the city of Philippi. By this we see God opens doors that no one can shut. He transforms hearts that no one can soften. He overcomes, he removes these obstacles that no one else can overcome, and he forms a new congregation that no one can separate. And what does this mean, and how does it affect us today? It means that we can trust God's grace to guide us, change us, protect us, and unite us as his people. It means that we can expect God to do great things in the midst in our midst as we follow his lead and share his good news. It means that we can rejoice in the diversity and beauty of his church as we welcome and serve one another in Christ. It challenges us to trust God's mercy and grace in every situation. It invites us to experience God's grace in every relationship, and it inspires us to share God's grace with every person. And at the Lord's Supper, where we are about to partake, it calls us to celebrate God's grace with every brother and sister 
in Christ. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the amazing grace you showed to the believers in Philippi. Pour out that grace on us and your church today that we may open our doors, open our hearts, open our minds, and open our lives to your grace that creates a new congregation in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.